I wanted to take a moment today to talk to you about two images that we find of water in scripture, that of the well and the river. Now we've talked a lot this year about the river as a symbol of God's presence in the world, a symbol of life, a symbol of God's presence with his people. The well is another image that comes up again and again in the story of scripture. And it's not always used in the way that I'm going to use it this morning. But I think there's some benefit in talking about it in the way that I'm going to talk about it today. There's some significant differences between wells and rivers. Wells exist in one particular place. If you own a piece of land with a well on it, there's a sense which you own the well and that water. A little different to rivers, you can't really secure a whole river. Most countries in the world I know about, you never actually own a river. You might own the land on either side of it, but the water never really belongs to you because it's coming from somewhere else and it's going to another place. Therein really lies the difference in the way that I'm going to talk about these two bodies of water today. You can secure a well to some degree. You can never secure a whole river. You can own a well in a way that you can't really own a river. You can regard a well in one moment in time. You can never regard a whole river because a river starts somewhere else and ends in a different place. Therein lies the challenge of the well in the way that I'm going to speak to you about it today. We inevitably build our lives around blessings that we experience in the material, like a well. If we have a well on our property, if we live in an arid environment like the people in the Bible did, it makes sense that we live in proximity to that well. We come to depend on that well. That well becomes a particular source of life for us. I think it's why Jesus talks about being careful not to invest too much in the blessings of this world because actually they're fleeting. A well can run dry. When a well's full, times are good. But when a well's empty, then we can come to question whether there is any blessing in our life, maybe even where God is. We could even be driven off the land that we'd once secured and away from the well that had become the center of our life. It's a picture for me of the fact that we get these blessings in this life, like a well, um, and we can experience them, enjoy them, but there's something less than the fullness of everything that God wants to do for us. There's something less than the river that he invites us to live in and by. It reminds me of a famous experiment that was undertaken at Stanford University in the 1970s where they got a bunch of kids and um, they would put uh, each child in a room and an agent who was helping to make the experiment happen would come in with two marshmallows. The agent would say to the child, listen, I've got two marshmallows that you can have. I'm gonna leave one marshmallow with you here right now. I'm gonna go out of the room for a while. Now, you're allowed to eat that one marshmallow, but if you hold on till I get back without eating it, you can have this second marshmallow. If the child could delay gratification for just a few minutes, 
they got twice the amount of marshmallow. It was amazing when they did that study how so many kids couldn't wait. And I think it's a bit like that in this life. There are wells that can be distracting in this life, things that we can build our life around, which while they're good and while they might even be from God, they are something less than the fullness of what God wants to do in and through us. We can get so distracted with um, securing a well, with grasping a well, the blessing of everything that comes with it, that we miss out on the river that God wants to course through our lives, the river that's coursing through history, the river that God invites us to be a part of. Chris, a couple of weeks ago, talked about Jacob, and I was thinking about Jacob this week because he famously um, lives a part of his life by a series of different wells and not long after uh, the part in the story where Chris talked to us about a couple weeks ago Jacob comes upon a well in uh, the land of the Arameans the land of his uncle Laban now Chris talked to us about the fact that Jacob had stolen his older brother's birthright and so he had to flee for his life into the wilderness a kind of exile if you will Anyway, it says in chapter 39 of Genesis that he comes upon this well and there's a few flocks there and some Aramean shepherds and he approaches these guys and uh, it seems like there's some sort of ancient Hebrew humour going on because uh, he says to them uh, something that seems a bit weird in the English like, what are you doing? Why aren't you watering your sheep? And these guys say, well, normally we wait till there's more people here uh, we're just kind of hanging out. It's heavy to lift the stone off the roof of the well. Uh, Jacob says, um, what of my uncle Laban? Have you heard of him to these supposedly lazy shepherds? And they say, yeah, he lives around here. He's good. Actually, here comes his daughter, Rachel, now. Now, if you've read this story, you know that Jacob sees Rachel and he's immediately smitten as she brings her father's sheep to the well to water them. And in an act of virility in the face of these lazy Arameans, he shows his Hebrew strength uh, by moving the rock off the face of the well himself so that he can water uh, Rachel's sheep. Now, uh, he pulls a strange pickup line for our time. It might be biblical, but I wouldn't recommend it to you. It says that he grabs Rachel, he kisses her, and he says, weeping, did you know we're cousins? Uh, it's probably a strange way to uh, impress the girl that you're hoping to marry, um, but that's what he does. Uh, anyway, he ends up uh, going to Laban, Rachel's dad, and Laban says, sure, hang out here with me for a while. Um, you can work with me. I don't expect you to work for free. What would you like? Jacob says, I will work for you for seven years if you let me marry your daughter, Rachel. Laban says, it's a deal. So after he's worked for seven years, um, they go through the wedding ceremony and you might know something tragic happens. Laban pulls the old switcheroo and uh, Jacob wakes up in the morning, not next to Rachel, the woman that he loved, but next to Leah. He's upset. He says to Laban, how could you do this to me? Laban says, it's kind of our custom that we marry the elder daughter off first. Uh, if you just see this wedding week out with Leah, I'll let you marry Rachel if you're prepared to work another seven years. So Jacob marries them both. 
and he works the rest of the seven years out for his uncle Laban. That's 14 years to marry the girl that he loves. Now, if you know the story, you know that uh, in this really touching phrase, I think, it says that God saw that Leah was not loved. And so, uh, strange phrase, but he opened her womb for her. And you might know that Leah goes on to have six sons. And it's mentioned as something as almost a bit of an afterthought, a little bit strangely to us, but a daughter as well. Now, Rachel's upset that Leah is having these kids and she's not. So she says to Jacob here, here's my sort of slave servant girl. I want you to have some children with her. So it ends up that Jacob has two sons on top of the six that he's already got with Rachel's servant. It seems like things slow down for Leah, so she tries the same trick. <laughs> and Jacob ends up having another two sons with Leah's sort of slave and servant girl. All the while, Rachel remains childless. Now, the thing about this story is Jacob gets what he wants. He grasps a blessing. Um, it's as though he takes a well in this life to use the metaphor that I'm picking up. And like a Hollywood movie, eventually it says that God remembered Rachel and he blesses her with a child, Joseph, a son between Jacob and Rachel, the girl that he truly loves. The picture's complete and we know that Joseph is something special. He's favored. He ends up becoming a very powerful person in Egypt and saving his whole family. And um, just to round the story off, it's not long after Jacob has the favoured son with his dream girl, Rachel, that he decides he's going home and he packs up his considerably sized family at this point and they set out back to the promised land that God had promised to Jacob's grandfather, Abram, and all of his descendants. Nice story, right? It follows the perfect arc. There's some challenge in the midst where Jacob doesn't quite get what he wants. He doesn't get the son with his favoured wife. Um, there's some twists and turns, having children with other women. But eventually, it finishes just how we like stories to finish. The hero and his love, they get what they want. I was thinking about this story because when you read it in the Hebrew, it's like a discrete section. It's like we're meant to read this section where Jake, from Jacob meeting Rachel at the well to him leaving Laban and going home with Joseph as like a unit. I was thinking about how it is the kind of story we like. Jacob gets what he wants. He secures the thing that he wants in this life. But how different that actually is to the plans of God. If you read this story looking for where the river flows, where the divine action of God flows rather than what it is that Jacob can grasp and achieve in this life, it takes you somewhere different. You might know that actually all of Jacob's sons, the sons from Leah, the sons from Leah's servant, the sons from Rachel's servant, 12 in number because he has another one uh, with Rachel eventually called Benjamin, 12 in number 
are actually the progenitors of the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. So the tribes of the nations of Israel all trace their lineage back to those sons that Jacob had with the four women. And so God is doing something even through what seems like a kind of distraction or a challenge in Jacob trying to have a family with Rachel. Really interesting that God chooses a people. He promises Abraham, he says, I'm going to make you into a nation and I am going to dwell amongst you as a nation and you are going to be a blessing to the whole world. God chooses to do that through elements of Jacob's life, through people that weren't even his first choice, through women who he didn't really even want to have children with. The blessing of God, the river of God flowing into and through the nation of Israel happens not just through Rachel, but through Leah and through Rachel and Leah's servant girls. Really strange, isn't it? got me thinking about Israel in Jesus' time. So people had an awareness that one of those 12 sons was sort of like the father of their tribe. And um, there's a scene in the Gospels where Jesus actually comes to a well that belonged to Jacob. And you can find uh, this story in John chapter 4. So it says that Jesus comes to this well that belonged to Jacob. And who does he find there but a Samaritan woman drawing water. And this Samaritan woman, uh, you might know that the Samaritans and Jews didn't have the best relationship. Jews sort of considered them to be outside of the family, as it were. They didn't mix. Jesus says to the Samaritan woman, would you draw some water from me, from Jacob's well, from the well of our great forefather, And you probably know this passage, but it says, The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would give you living water. Sir, says that the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the water is deep. The well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and who drank from it himself, as also did his sons and his flocks and his herds? And Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. It's like the Samaritan woman says, we've got something good going on here. We've got this blessing in the natural, this well. We've got an identity that goes back to Jacob that's a blessing as well. Are you saying that there's something better than this? And Jesus is kind of responding, this is a good well, this is a fine well, but there is something more there is something greater. I can offer you water once you've drunk of it that you will never thirst again. I can offer you water that will spring up in you like eternal life. Water that begins somewhere else, even deeper back than you realize. 
and flows further and achieves more than you might be able to conceive at this time. Thinking about Jesus in relation to Jacob because it's interesting that he's meeting the Samaritan woman at Jacob's well. It occurred to me you would expect because of Jacob's story, the fact that he can grasp this well, you would expect, and he gets, you know, the Hollywood ending, the chosen son with the woman that he loves. You might expect that Jesus would be able to trace his lineage back to that chosen son, that special son, the son that's at the center of the Hollywood ending, Joseph. You might expect that because it was Rachel that Jacob loved, that she would be his great, 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 great grandmother. But actually there is a genealogy for Jesus in the gospel in Matthew chapter 1. And interestingly, if you trace that all the way back, it turns out that his great, 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 great grandfather was a Judah, and Judah's mother was the unloved one, Leah. So while Jacob grasped the well, another river was flowing. I can't help but think about Leah across the many years of her life, not being the first choice, not being the loved one. It's so understandable that she might have thought, where is God in this for me? Why is this my lot? Why is my well empty when my sister Rachel's is full? Why do I have to live with less? Why is my life drier? You see, the thing is that Leah couldn't see the expanse of what God was going to do through her. In that one place, at that one time, it might have seemed like her well was emptier. It might have seemed like she had less. But God was doing something in and through her that would flow on to be so much more powerful through the expanse of time. Jacob and the girl that he loved, Rachel, they had a son who managed to save the family. Leah ends up having a grandson who manages to save the whole of the world, all creation and all people. I want to challenge you with that today whenever you're listening to this, you might be tempted to look at others and think, their well is full, I don't have one. Their well is full, mine's half empty. But you don't have the perspective that God has. You don't know where you stand in relation to that eternal river of blessing and life that flows through time. It could be one conversation encouraging someone that you have that changes a nation in the future. It could be one act of kindness that you express that turns the hearts of many people back towards God. God's promises are true. We just have limited vision sometimes. Two thoughts that I want to end with. Uh, one, in relation to Mother's Day, and I'm only going to be able to make a brief comment about this and you could write a book about it 
It's really interesting to me looking at the stories of these patriarchs and matriarchs of Israel, Abraham and Sarah, Rebecca and Jacob, Rebecca and Isaac, Jacob and Rachel, that in all three cases, these women are, and we wouldn't use this word today, but the old language of scripture talks about them being barren. What is that? I think if nothing else, it says that God thinks about fruitfulness differently to how we do. And we value the work of motherhood today on Mother's Day. We're grateful for the way that our mothers have been fruitful, that they have raised us, that they've poured their lives into us. And I would pray so much for the blessing of God in the lives of all the mothers in our extended community, that you come to know the presence of God, that the work that you put into being a mother is a blessing to you. It's fulfilling and that you know God there. But at the same time, I think the character of God as revealed through Scripture shows us that that's not the only way that a woman can be fruitful, that a person can be fruitful. And those qualities of motherhood, selfless love, um, unending work for the people that uh, they love uh, can be found in so many other people who might not be fruitful in the way that we think about the fruitfulness of motherhood. And so we have recognised for a long time on this day every year that there are mothers amongst us that might not have biological children and that God is birthing things through all sorts of people, whether they've got six, 12 children or none. And what a wonderful thing is. And that kind of relates to the other thing uh, that I really loved about thinking through this story again. That um, God is always at work and doing something. And uh, for me, that really came through as I thought about the fact that while we would expect the Hollywood ending carry the whole way through scripture and that God uh, might bring his son into the world through Rachel's line, through Joseph's line, but no, he's always flowing even when we don't expect it and often in ways that we don't expect and he chose to do something through Leah, the unloved one. He chose for Leah to be the great 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 grandmother of Jesus God is doing something in your life whether your well's full or your well's empty there is a river that flows there is a river that comes to us in the person of Jesus if we would just have faith in him if we would just decide to build our lives around him we can be a part of something that flows with life and grace for eternity hey I'm going to pray for you and we're going to end it there. God, I do just pray for everyone in the extended community here at Cornerstone. Lord, that whether in this challenging time they find this, their wells empty, they find they're having to move away from things that have been a source of life for them, or whether uh, against uh, the sort of trend of what might be happening in the world around us, they're feeling full and blessed. Lord, I pray that we would, like Joy said, not uh, be a billabong people, but be 
a river people. We would not be a people who build our life around the fleeting blessings of this world, but we would build our lives in next to the flowing river of what you're doing through history, your grace, love and will to save us and the world. Amen.